0: I'm operating on all cylinders to do this thing which is unimaginable to me, caring for someone I didn't love, let alone like, and doing it in loving and caring for these many people who die in their families. It's not a life I ever imagined for myself. I'm just trying to do it the best way possible so my life doesn't suck. So what I would say to everyone who wants to make it through, is find what heals you, discover what that is for you. This is what it does for me. On the days where I can do it, and on the days I can, I just can't. I mean, that's it, right? That's what it is to be a caregiver.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Age Stage Podcast, where it is our mission to equip you with the resources to navigate life's challenges, empower you to make critical choices with the ones you love as they age, and enrich your life with a renewed sense of self-worth, self-confidence, and peace of mind. I'm your host, Dr. Cheryl Matthew. I'm honored to bring you this episode of Age Sage Joy in the Time of COVID with the Reverend Dr. Rochelle Zazu. As chaplain at Mount Sinai Hospital in Queens, New York, and primary caregiver to a mother with Alzheimer's, Rochelle is uniquely qualified to share what it means to live a joyful life amid the challenges and stressors that are present when we are in service to others. Rochelle shares her unique perspective of serving in the epicenter of the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic in New York City by day and caring for her mother by night. While acknowledging the gut-wrenching experiences and ever-present exhaustion that comes with being a caregiver, she reminds us that we matter in the most profound ways. I'm really happy you're joining us. I think you'll find her story full of honesty, encouragement, and hope. We'll get rolling right after a word from one of our sponsors. Every passage in life has its ups and downs, decisions and transitions, a beginning and an end. I invite you to navigate life's journey like an age sage, fully living, learning, and loving. As we care for our aging loved ones, we also need to make time to care for ourselves. So, this is our safe space to share challenges, wisdom, and joy along life's adventure. I'm your guide, Dr. Cheryl Matthew, and this is Age Sage. Hello, and welcome to Age Sage. Thanks for joining us. I'm really excited about our guest today, Reverend Dr. Rochelle Zazu. She is a chaplain at Mount Sinai Hospital in Queens, New York, and she's also the primary caregiver for her mother who has Alzheimer's. Welcome, Rochelle. Hello, hello. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for joining us, Rochelle. I have wanted you on the show for a while to talk about being a caregiver for your mother. But also now, for the last couple months, you have been at the epicenter of the epicenter at your hospital, serving patients with COVID. And so I'd love to hear about what life is like inside the hospital how you got to be a caregiver for your mother and what's life like at home and how you are balancing all the stressors and how you're taking care of yourself while you take care of your patients and your mother. So I'd love to hear your story.
0: So when you said I'm in the epicenter of the epicenter of COVID, it couldn't be more literal. Anyone listening will know that Queens, New York, is hit very hard, and my hospital is one of two in the country that are almost completely COVID. The death is unimaginable. So I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, not my favorite thing. I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, which used to take me 40 minutes to get to work, but now I get up at 4 in the morning because it takes me till almost a quarter to 6 to get to work because the bus in front of my house doesn't run. So I have to walk almost a mile to the subway. Again, not my favorite thing because it's not my favorite walk and it's through all parts of New York that are not great. And I walked to a subway station that is at Times Square. So the homeless are sleeping there because now that everything is closed, they have nowhere to be. And in a COVID afraid city, you know, massive number of people, of homeless, literally sleeping right out there on the platform with all their stuff. Doesn't feel all that hygienic. <laughs> But I this is my only way. And I take the train to work. I get there about a quarter to six. I get there in time for what's called huddles, which is when the night shift tells the day shift what's going on. 203 got their medicine and whatever. But you know, and needs, you know, is having a procedure for it. it's when one shift tells the other shift medically what's going on and, and all of this the patient's status. And also during that time, they're they're do it together in a huddle. So I have joined them for mindfulness, for prayer, for expression, for them to know that I am with them, for them to, you know, I have no other function than to support them. So I do that on as many units as I can, including I am fully suited up. I am in the ER and the ICU and the PACU, the OR, Every medical unit, keep in mind, every medical unit in my hospital is now almost fundamentally a COVID unit. And so I'm doing that in staff support, except for when a patient dies, which is every day, many times, where I will go to, I can't go into the room because they're not going to waste PPE on me, protective equipment on me that many times a day. So I will go by the room and I will stand there. I will call the patient's family. And I will do a bedside memorial with the family on my iPhone, singing this person's life to God and writing them in the book of life as they pass or have just passed. And then counseling that family and then getting off the phone and being there for the staff. And then I leave. In the mid afternoon, at some point, what time is iffy depends on the day and how afraid staff are, how overwhelmed they are, how saturated they are. We have had staff, our own beloved staff die in our hospital, which is a grievous thing. As you can imagine, I got home late that day, but I get home in time to every single day to prepare, serve and have dinner with my mother to listen to her narrative, her thoughts, her experience. I then set her up for her dessert and then put her in front of the TV at 8 o'clock at night, which is a ritual. And then at 8 o'clock, I go into my room, I close the door, I listen to my meditation, I do my own inner meditation. My mother goes to bed at 10. By that point, I'm generally out. Like, I'm just done ad infinitum. That's what my day looks like.
1: Wow, that is an amazingly full day. And I could really see where taking care of yourself first so you can help take care of others and using those techniques really is important. So tell us a little bit about how you became a caregiver for your mother and what made you decide to move from Los Angeles to New York to to take that on.
0: I moved to California to move into seminary at in my church, which is MSIA and I'm a lifelong New Yorker, but it was very easy for me to move 3,000 miles away from my family because we didn't really like each other. I mean, overtly, we didn't like each other. we I'm imagining that there was some level of loving, but it wasn't anything that we really experienced for each other in any kind of conscious way. So much so that at some point, I just said to my mother, After I moved, I just said to her, so I'm not going to call you or speak with you anymore because you're profoundly unhappy with my life choices, and I'm not going to change them. And I'm tired of being judged, and it must be miserable for you to have a daughter you're so profoundly disappointed with. And we didn't talk for almost two years. And the thing that changed it is her father was out in California, and he was almost completely indigent. And I would go over to his house with friends of mine from seminary after shopping, And we would supply him with food, ready, made, prepared food. And we would take him out for rides in my car, which we would line with towels and then plastic bags and then more towels so that when he peed himself, he was okay in the car. And finally, he said to my mother, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And my mother was like, what? (laughs) And he said, you know, I... I live and die for her. Like she takes me out. She takes me to eat. She take, brings her friends over here. She brings me groceries. She leaves me money for any deliveries. And I don't get the part where you don't accept her life or her life choices. And I don't want to talk to you. And my mother called me the next day and was like, hi, as if nothing had happened. And I decided I'm not on the planet to make her wrong. So I just like didn't make her walk through a door. I was just like, hi. And so we spoke and it was very superficial with her telling me about the wine classes she was taking. And I was telling her about what it's like to live in a seminary and neither one of us really cared about the other one's narrative. And that's how life went. I had a very established life in LA with friends I had moved out to LA with and happily there until my mother, three years ago, who had lost her husband and my brother started making breakfast for her dead husband. And I mean literally making breakfast and literally putting out blankets and sheets for him and then very upset when he didn't thank her and seeing him around the house and waking up from a dream very distraught that she would talk to him and he wouldn't talk back. And at first, I was trying to be very spiritual about it. I'd say, I think he is there. I just think that in the level that he's at, he can't talk. And then I realized we're dealing with something else. And since her husband had died and my brother had died and her sister was much older than she, that my ministerial blessing that includes the words ministering to all, regardless of race, creed, color, situation, circumstance, or environment, probably included my mother. So I packed up my life. I applied for a residency in a New York hospital as a chaplain, which I received. That was three years ago. And I moved in with my mother as her caregiver. So I have been living with my mother for these three years as her Alzheimer's progresses. I'm going to say I did very poorly in the beginning because I just didn't have any mentor and I wasn't smart enough to ask for advice. So I said a lot of things that are going to make people cringe right now. I said things like, don't you remember I told you that yesterday? Or mom, I literally just told you that. And so that was bad, mostly because the look on her face is like a look you never, ever want to see on the face of someone you have any caring for because she's lucid enough even now to know she's losing it and not lucid enough to help it. So when I bring it to her attention in such an unkind way, it is devastating for her. And to look at that face of devastation is the most heartbreaking thing that is sure to crack any positive feeling you have in your own narrative of self-identity. And I was just like, oh, I just caused someone pain, like actual guttural, primal pain in bringing her situation to roost in the most ungenerous way. And I will say that I have had two or three extreme occasions of that that make me cringe inside where I still ask God for forgiveness because I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I mean, I don't know how to be more honest than that. Like, after a day of being a hospital chaplain. And as you can imagine, hospital chaplain, I'm called in palliative cases and hospice cases and complicated grief situations and anticipatory grief situations and saturated grief situations. So to come home to somebody who literally asks me the same questions eight times in a row and who, who lives her life out loud maybe I'll go to the store, but if I go to the store, I'll have to make a list. Do I make a list? I think I made a list. Where's my list? Oh, if I'm going to make a list, I'll go to the store. But if I go to the store, I have to make a list. And I said, mom, there, there is a list. Mom. Oh, oh, you know, until I just can't, I was just like, Oh God, there's a list. It's on the table. And then that's like the worst horrible moment for both of us. And anyone who's out there, who's a caregiver, I just want you to know in this moment, come into compassion and empathy for yourself because doing what I did, which was self-condemnation, not helpful. It doesn't help to release the moment. It doesn't make it unhappen. It doesn't shore you up for the future where it is guaranteed to happen again, you know, because that whole imperfect human thing. So if you're out there and you had a moment where you were just like, I can't take it, and you expressed it in some way that you think is unkind or impatient, I'm begging you to let it go. If it's a visual, if it's a memory, if it's like the sound of your own voice, I'm begging you from my heart of hearts and from my soul to let it go because it doesn't help. And it's progressive, right? It's a progressive illness. It's not going to help you tomorrow. There's other things in life that are more important to worry about. So here's how I treat every moment now. And you need a good support system to do what I'm about to tell you. I mean, you need you need the kind of support system where you throw yourself off a building and 50 hands will catch you before you fall, which is what I have. But here's what it is. You have to approach this. And I won't say what you have to do because I really, I don't know what other people have to do, but I'll tell you what I do. What I do is I approach every moment with my mother as if there's literally no past and I don't matter. So here's what I mean by that. When she says to me, so she was married to a lovely man for 32 years. It was not my father because my father died when I was young. So when she says things like, your father was so nice to me. Oh my God, he was such a lovely man. He bought me this ring when we moved into this apartment. Now that was not my father. And in the beginning, I would say to her, not my father, that was Dan, your husband, your second husband who did that. She'd be like, not your father? And I was no. And I'm very protective of my father's memory because my father. At some point, I went like, there's no past and your life doesn't matter. To her, in this moment, right? In this moment. So when she would say, your father was so nice, and he bought it for me, when I, I would just say to her, that's lovely. Mm. Because
1: why, right? That's beautiful. I love that. There's no past and I don't matter. Right. Like why? And when I would say, you were a hellion as a child
0: and no part of that was true, I would just say, that had to be hard on you, even though no part of that is true. Because why? Because why? They have Alzheimer's. They don't remember. She doesn't even remember she said it an hour later. Mm-hmm. And when I would say to her in the beginning, as I would do in the beginning, you know, when you said that, it was really hurtful. Part of that is true. When you're my mother, she'd be like, what? And then she would say in her own defense, because she's trying to hold on to her nobility, I never said that. And I would have to realize what was happening all over again, which is like the first year and a half was realizing over and over again. (laughs) Like, how did I forget again? Oh, my God, how did I forget again? But I do want to say, remember now. And like, she literally will tell me the same story four times at dinner. And each time she says it, I try to not say the exact same thing. So the first time I say to her, yes, you mentioned that you read that in the paper today. That's interesting. What was interesting about it? But she can't hold on to that thought. So she'll tell me the same story all over again. And I'll try to find something different to say. And like by the fourth time I say to myself, Rochelle, I challenge you in this moment to find joy for both of you because if you don't bring it, it's not here. And in addition to being her life, it's your life. Mm-hmm. So instead of it being like the horror of, Oh my God, I just spent eight hours in COVID with a 75 foot refrigerated truck outside our hospital for bodies that we have no more work space for. And that's literal. And coming home and just being like, oh, my God, I have my mother now and this sucks more than you can imagine because all I want is quiet because the hospital is the noisiest place in the world. Mm -hmm. I have to challenge myself because if I don't, I will literally just stay mute for the entire meal because I have nothing left to win. And I say to myself, if you don't bring joy, you don't get it. Like there'll be no joy in your life today, regardless of the other certain, COVID or no COVID mother or no it, It's still your life. You don't get it back. If you don't find it, it's not going to be here. <laughs> There's no choice. It's you or nobody literally. And so here's what I'll tell you about that. On the days that I could do it, I do it. And then on the days that I can't, which are plentiful, I do my best not to be mean to myself about it. And that's about the best I have right now.
1: I'll go back to where you, you prefaced the, before you said, I pretend there's no past and I don't matter. So you can be present with your mother.
0: Yeah, because here's the thing. I do matter. I'm an actual person and I do know that I matter to God. Oh my God, I know that it sustains me in a way that's profound and primal, but I don't matter in that moment. My narrative, my life, my feelings, my experience, my perspective, they don't matter. They don't matter, can't hold on to them. They're not going to change anything. She won't remember them, and they will confuse her and often upset her. And when you care to be a caregiver, the reason you're a caregiver and not a caretaker is because you are giving. And I think I have mentioned this to you before, just I don't know, apropos, something else. I have to tell myself every day I'm not her jailer and I'm not her boss. Not her jailer, not her boss. She has the right to make mistakes. She has the right to bend down and do something that's going to hurt her. Just like your son, whoever your son is out there, has the right to do heroin. You don't prefer it. You don't want it. You wish to God he wouldn't, but he has the right to do it. He has the right to kill himself. He has the right to be healthy, right? We're not their jailer. We're not their jailer. We're not their boss but you need a really big support system for a group of people who love you so much that you have something to lean on to remember you do matter. (laughs) I do matter. You need to matter like I do matter. And you asked me what I was looking at right now. And it's a card from very close friends saying, you're doing a great job. We love you and appreciate you. And I have friends who text me every day. And yesterday in the mail, I got a care package with pancake mix and uh, maple syrup. And jam. And uh, another friend sent me, knows that I like my coffee very, very hot. So they sent me a uh, like a thermos, like that keeps it hot for like a million hours. And I'm not suggesting that your support system has to buy you gifts. I'm just saying it's one manifestation of the physical level of it. But if you're going to live in an environment where you have to remember there is no past and you don't matter. And if you have a job where your job is, You have no past and your life doesn't matter. You need a strong support system to reaffirm you matter. You have a past and your life matters because otherwise you're an island and it's not sustainable.
1: What's interesting, I keep thinking about, you know, with this COVID-19 and with the social distancing and staying at home, this is not much different than the life of a caregiver for someone with Alzheimer's or dementia because they can't just... You know, with, as the disease progresses and the person's not, their loved one is not safe to be alone, you know, it's hard to get out of the house. It's hard to go just go do that hike that you always love to do or go play cards with friends or I'm just going to go out. They have to keep the other in mind. So there's this selflessness of it. The way you just
0: described it, which I hear and I understand and believe me as a human, I experience, but it makes it sound like a bondage. And I feel like that's a trap, like that's a trap.
1: Right. So one thing we talk about is in in age stage is perspective and what meaning we place on things. So if we look out the eyes of we're trapped, then that doesn't feel very good. So when you think about your life, and so right now you're committed to the hospital and to your mother and to yourself, what is your perspective of caregiving that's different?
0: Okay, so here's the thing. I'm realistic, right? First of all, I'm 61 years old. And I say to myself, you cannot be the sole and primary caregiver forever. This is a progressive disease, and I literally can't do it. So I try to keep in mind this is not a forever thing. This is ephemeral. Ephemeral could be a year or five years. I don't know. But it's progressive, and it requires more and more support. One of the things that I remind myself is this is not my life. This is just my life now. It's just my life now, right? It's not any different than anyone who's not a caregiver who's going through a divorce or who lost a spouse or right. It's just grief. Now it's horrible. It's heartbreaking. It's heart rendering. It's just now. So that's one thing that sustains me to not make it a burden. Like for me, once I move into the false ego and pride of, this woman is a burden to me and my life is a burden to me and wiping up after her cleaning, you know, after she pees herself cause she coughed too hard is a burden to me. That to me is a choice point and it is not that I enjoy it. Oh God, it's not that I enjoy it. You know, we have a first world problem now, which is that a housekeeper is not essential worker. And so I'm doing the laundry. I am not pleasant. <laughs> I am not pleasant when I do the laundry, but I'm not a martyr. I'm allowed to just not like the laundry, not because it's my mother or because of the circumstances. I'm just allowed to not like it. I don't think that's false ego or pride. I give myself permission to not like it. I just don't blame anybody. That's my key.
1: Yeah. I think most caregivers that i talk to or spouses, they, most of them don't feel blaming It's just exhausting. Some days are harder than others. And when you're just having a hard day, how do you lift yourself out of that?
0: Okay, first of all, it would be a complete and total lie to say that on any given day, I'm capable of doing it to the degree that I would like. There's no part of that statement that would be true. And I bet for most of your caregivers out there, it's also not true that we can lift ourselves to the place where we imagine we would be if we weren't caregivers. I mean sometimes we can, but I don't think it's true that everybody can do it every time and I certainly can't. So I don't always lift myself when I when I need to, but when I do, it is by participating in things that are very unique to me. Right? I'm a walker. I can walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. I will walk seven miles from my house to Harlem. I've walked the entire length of Central Park. I listen to rock and roll, like from the 80s, where I know, and 90s, where I know every word of every song and nothing's going to surprise me. <laughs> and I'm just in a very inner controlled environment of walking through beauty and listening to music and walking. And that heals me. And then I have pancakes, which, you know, people joke about, but really, uh, I mean, I'm a salad and apple girl. So my weekend pancakes are a treat for me. And I'm whole hog. People are like, are you going to like seriously eat all of that? And I was like, yeah, that's what I came for. I came for a massive stack of pancakes and I'm going to eat it every, like literally every drop. Just leave the coffee pot here. Those are things that are unique to me. So I think it's discovering what is unique to you. And so that's how I feel about the thing that's unique. Like I walk to rock and roll music and it really is healing for me. I'm walking through the park and it's beautiful. And it's New York, which I love and it's central park, which I love. And I'm going to pancakes and friends are on the other side of those pancakes, which I love. And I spend an hour and a half to walk there. And I spend an hour and a half with a friend and I spend, 15 minutes taking the subway home because I've been away from my mother for too long and that heals me and that is unique to me so what I would say to everyone who wants to make it through is find what heals you discover what that is for you this is what it does for me on the days where I can do it and on the days I can I just can't I mean that's it right that's what it is to be a caregiver so, it's discovering what's unique for you and then practicing it to the best of your ability, keeping in mind when the best of your ability doesn't match my expectations. I do everything I can to
1: be nice about it. I've seen you do this now for six weeks because we're friends. So, I've seen you go through this for at least six weeks now with the COVID cases increasing. And I'm paying attention to what you're doing to rejuvenate yourself. You know, most days you're balanced and happy what have you appreciated that your support system has done for you to help you keep you buoyed up at this time
0: yeah so first of all i do want to say that i am balanced and i am happy and that's accurate you know the book love in the time of cholera we want in our hospital we want to write a book joy in the time of covid oh i love
1: that i love that
0: it's never going to get written but you you know what i mean um It's one thing in life to feel like you're loved and to think that you're loved and to think like, yes, I have faith in God. And it is another thing completely when it transcends into knowing. I have many friends in my church who hold the same fundamental spiritual beliefs, but also who feel that same affinity with that spiritual source So I feel part of a very foundational, immutable, and viable tribe of people who hold my spiritual beliefs in their heart and who support it in ways that are palpable for me every day, every day. And to go from the thinking of that to the experiencing and knowing that, Is an existential moment that will transform forever my self-identity. I'm not going to judge myself. I'm just not going to do it. Because it would so violate the spirit of generosity and love that I have for the people around me and the people around me have for me, that my tribe in the hospital has for me and that I have for them. It's not worth it and also we are friends and it's not like I haven't called you and said, I I can't, I literally can't take it. Like it's just too much death. I mean, the numbers are indescribable to you, the amount of death. So yesterday I presided over the, the bedside memorial of this father of one of our staff, every single member of his unit and I, suited up in PPE and we had a bedside memorial inside the room that I led where we were hysterical. And the same day, we also had like one of our first patients recover from COVID. Every single senior staff member of our hospital was in the lobby, like the president of our hospital. I work for Mount Sinai. This is no joke. Like almost all of the senior Management, the staff, the patient's family was in the lobby cheering this person's release back into the wild until we were crying. So when I say I don't have quite that I am balanced and I am happy, I'm experiencing what I'm in. I'm not pretending I'm not in it. It's just that my perspective is the blessings are there in my grief. And so I'm fine. I'm loved in my grief. So I'm fine. I am supported by God, by spirit, by my church, by my friends, and by myself beyond my grief, beyond my days where I'm not the best chaplain. I think I might have written to you, I'm not my best self today, (laughs) right? I'm not my best self today. But so what, right? Like, and that, so what? So there it is. That's my long story. That's my whole story.
1: I am coming back to joy in the time of COVID. If you can find the joy in the time of COVID in the hospital, you know, in the epicenter, while having the demands of being a full-time caregiver, then you can find joy anywhere. And that's really the key. You know, I think that's the key for for caregivers and actually for, for humans. But being a caregiver gives us a special opportunity to do that. But finding the joy... You know, I say sometimes, like, we bring the party. We bring the joy. Don't wait for it to show up.
0: So I have the world's worst singing voice. I mean, I cannot, I just can't. Like, inside myself, I'm I'm Adele. But in, outside, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> please. And I will walk down a unit where I know there's been a lot of death. And I will be singing full out, like, Day by day, day <laughs> by day, and the staff are hysterical. They're like, "Do you not know what you sound like?" I like, I do know, but you're hysterical laughing at me, and that makes it worth it, hmm. right? Like, I will go into the ED. We have no space in the ED. We have two tents set up. We have two tents set up because we have no space in our in our ED. And I will go through the E.D. singing, oh, happy day. <laughs> and people are like touching my arm as they're laughing and they go like, really? Chaplain, don't. <laughs> like, you're not pulling it off. But like they're laughing in that moment. They're laughing. So it's kind of like, like if I don't bring it to them, who's going to bring it to them? I could, I could walk over to them and say to them, which I know is important to them. In the name of our Lord, I am with you and I bless you. And believe me, we have those moments where it's not as sarcastic as I just made it out to sound, where that's what's necessary. But we put aside time for that. We don't put aside time for the joy. And it's our life. We don't get today back, not a rehearsal. I'm not trying to set a record of six weeks of COVID with no joy. My life is worse than yours. I'm trying to have a nice life. My special teacher is John Roger, and he said, you're only two choices. You can have joy or all the perfect reasons why you can't. And then he would say the thing that partly drove me crazy and partly I hold on to it is then he would say, you decide. It's like if there were
1: ever a time (laughs) to give that a test drive. (laughs) (laughs) Now's your time.
0: Now's my time. I could either have a great life. Or, oh, my God, I could have all the perfect reasons why I don't. But, like, what? it's not competitive, right? Grief is not competitive.
1: You know, we all have tests. We all have our tests in life. And you're like, oh, sometimes you think, well, God, God doesn't give me more than I can handle. So I guess I can handle it. So, and like you said, if you have a choice whether to have a great life and have joy or have the perfect reasons... And I would say like you have a lot of really good reasons right now to to choose something else. And I just think it's inspiring to see you demonstrate the choice of, I'm going to have joy. I'm going to find the joy. I'm going to bring the joy. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to embrace my humanness. I'm going to forgive myself when I'm a jerk. I'm going to love myself all the time. And no, this too shall pass. This is right now it will get better or it will change. I just think it's a powerful time.
0: It is a powerful time, but I am so, so, oh my God, I am so nervous. I could feel my throat closing when you say it's inspiring when we're doing a podcast for caregivers. And I don't want anyone to use anything that I have said against themselves in any way. It just would make my, oh no, it would just be so bad if I contributed to someone's self judgment in any way by how I'm doing my own life. It makes me so nervous. Ooh, ooh, it makes me nervous. So uh, I just want to emphasize, like I'm operating on all cylinders to do this thing, which is unimaginable to me, caring for someone I didn't love, let alone like, and doing it in loving and caring for these many people who die in their families. It's not a life I ever imagined for myself. I'm just trying to do it the best way possible so my life doesn't suck. I'm just
1: trying to do it the best way possible. I appreciate you saying that. I think one of the the nice things about having a community, the age stage community, or people that can have some kind of understanding where you are coming from. So with people who are caring for someone with dementia, they have a special understanding of what that is. It's full-time. It's 100%. You know, especially when someone, if the dementia is to a point that if you turn around, your loved one could walk away and get lost. So there's a full-time 100% on. Yeah. So we inspire each other. It's not that one person is above it, another person, that we inspire each other. And we remind each other of things we already know. You know, the things that you're saying are things we've heard before. And sometimes it's, it's one thing hearing it, but it's another thing, you know, demonstrating it. And also just the reminder of that we, we have more inside of us than sometimes we give ourselves credit for the strength, the connection to a higher source, whatever we call that, the connection with other people, even if we can't get out of the house that we, you know, people send cards or there's a way to, to feel that support that we can forgive ourselves. We can love ourselves and go, that's human. I was having a bad day or I was having a great day or anything in between. And it's all okay. When I say inspiring, that's what I mean is like, I, I appreciate how you talk about our humanness. It allows me to give myself a, a break in certain ways as well. And I I think one thing that I've learned, you know, with working with families and uh, people with dementia for 20 years now is that it's, it's not a place that does really well with ego because I've spent lots of time and energy providing amazing care for people and doing activities and all this, but none of my clients remember my name and most of them don't remember what I did with them. What they remember is how I made them feel in the sense of trust that goes beyond an ego. Like you're, you know, Oh, Cheryl did a good job. It's beyond that. It's just out of a sense of loving and unconditional loving. I think that's what's remarkable about the life of a caregiver with someone with, for someone with dementia is that it's, it's this unconditionality in the best sense, right? Of course we have our ups and downs, but there's, a, there's an opening to be connecting with our higher self to provide the unconditional loving that we would like to give.
0: I couldn't imagine any other way to do it. How else would I do it? The thing that sustains me is I, it's not required, right? There was a source of energy, there is a source of loving. There is a source of compassion, tolerance, mercy, uh, unbelievable grace that is available if I have the wit and the willingness to go to where it is. First of all, I don't have the nerve to not go where it is because I don't think I would last a day. I'm not that good a person, and I'm not being false modest. You you know me. I'm not false modest. I'm like I I claim my my wins I mean my most proud moment for myself was after a year of being here and being my mother's caregiver feeling actual and true compassion for her it took a year I was in California for for almost 30 years we didn't like each other it took me a year of being here to have compassion for her to feel loving for her and that was a moment of great like yay Rochelle <laughs> you know how do you think I would have done that first year without that other thing that's bigger than me that I can't control that through grace I get to receive anyway. It's why I say I don't know how to be a caregiver. I don't know how anyone is a caregiver without having a support system. And if they don't have one, they have to find one. You have to find one. I'm ordering you. I'm begging you. I'm imploring you. I'm ordering you. You have to find one. It doesn't have to be your church because maybe yours is your macrame group. And I'm God, I'm not being sarcastic. Maybe it's your book club. Maybe it's your service. Maybe it's your solitary time. Maybe it's your sitting in the shower and daring to do it. whatever it is. Oh, my God. It's not sustainable. It requires so much that other people who are not caregivers will not understand. They will just never understand.
1: Part of what we talk about is navigating the transition along the journey of life. I feel like we're going through that with this COVID-19 situation is people had a certain dream for their life. And maybe they had a certain dream for this summer or now. Like we had, I had trips planned to Europe and I can't go. Um, I had, I'm a professional sports player and my team, you know, was almost going to win. And now this season's canceled. So people have a vision of what they thought it was going to look like. And now it's changed. So same thing when some a loved one, a spouse or a parent or a friend, gets Alzheimer's, their vision of the future changes. They had plans. They were going to retire and move to you know, the woods or whatever. And they were going to travel. And now these things, their life is going to look different. Same with you. You were in LA. You had this life. And now you're called to care for your mother. How do you, navigating these changes for you, do you have any suggestions for other people of what's worked for you with navigating these changes and transitions?
0: Yeah, so keep in mind that, and I understand that I have sort of an unfair advantage here with what I'm about to say. Keep in mind that I have been a marriage and family therapist for nearly 30 years, right? Right. And so I'm working with families and marital couples. And one of the things that I said more times, I was actually going to get a card laminated and just start handing it to people because I said it so many times, is when the wife would say, but I thought he was going to, and now I'm disappointed. Or the husband would say, you know, she promised to do this, but she never did. Or the parents say about the children or whatever. I would always say this one thing, reality always wins reality always wins. You can be upset, disappointed, angry. You could be whatever you want to be. And at some point, you're going to realize reality always wins. So what that looks like is he promises you in here that he's going to get up on Sunday with the kids so you have one day. But here's the thing. He's never going to do it. He's never going to do it. You know why? He doesn't want to. So he promises you because he loves you. He wants to keep the marriage. He's not ever going to do it. So now since reality always wins, let's have a conversation that since he's not ever going to do it, what makes up for it really? This is a negotiation where we're all on the same side, which is how do we make this work and how do we make it win? Because reality always wins. So I have had 35 years of telling other people, Reality always wins. So when my mother started making breakfast for Dan, I said to myself, kitten, <laughs> reality always <laughs> <wins."> <laughs> Like, this is it. Like, you could wish your brother was still alive in New York, but that's not happening, right? You could wish that her sister was the kind of person who would take care of her, but that's not happening. And the more energy you spent on wishes, the easier it is to go into resentment, and that won't help. So I have practiced for 35 years, reality always wins. And now the negotiation starts, and this part is vital. So when reality always wins, and he's not going to get up on Sunday, or your basketball team can't win, or you can't take that trip, or I can't have a day of silence, just pure silence that I'm craving, I say to myself, what's going to do it? Because I can have a great life, or all the reasons why I can't can't have both. Reality always wins. So that's how I handle it. So is it worse today than it was three months ago? It's worse today than it was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I could write something on a note and leave it for my mother while I go to work, and she could hold on to the fact that it was written on the news, and she would go look for it when she forgot during the day. Now, when I make my like six phone calls during the day, I have to remind her each time. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. But you know what? Reality always wins. A, that's what it is. And B, what is it going to take for me to have a nice life? Because I want to have a nice life more than I want to have the reasons
1: why I don't. That's my answer. Is there a grieving in that of what, you know, part of it is our own expectations of life. And I think that's, for me, when I get disappointed the most, when I have expectations of how I should do something or someone else. And when I heard you talk about, you know, reality always wins, I wonder if there's a grieving of what, what the expectation was or what you would hope for before, before you can just let it go and go, okay, well, this is what, this is what is, you know, I thought I, I married this person that was going to be able to travel with me. We're going to travel around the world and move and downsize. And now we're not going to do that. And is there a grieving of the old vision?
0: yes oh my god are you kidding me and what does that look like for you as a caregiver it's not just a grieving for an event or a disappointment it's a grieving of in, in a very existential way it's profoundly grieving it's it feels like giving up the trip to europe or the basketball championship is not only giving up the game it feels like it's giving up the
1: prayer
0: to have a certain experience of life. That's the grieving. The grieving is the sense of giving up the prayer. Like, So I don't pretend I don't have it. I just know I'm not going to get it right now. And I grieve it when I grieve it, and I'm sad about it when I'm sad about it. It's sort of like if your parent died 10 years ago, you're always going to grieve it, but it was different then than it is now. And it happens when it happens, and you let it happen because that's healthy. And then when it's over, it's over. That's how I deal with it.
1: I think the theory of the stages of grief, or a long time ago, seems outdated. If you were to update the stages of grief, or what grief is, or how to manage grief, what advice would you have, or how would you rewrite that?
0: I like the very simple... Three-step process that I, th- I learned, I think it was in an insight seminar. Insight is like a personal development seminar I learned many years ago. And it was recognize what shows up, cooperate with it, let it go. So I don't know how other people work, but I work by having like a go-to technique that I can use in the moment that's not very complicated, that I can actually use and not as a workshop or as a pretend personal development thing, but that's pragmatic and real. And that's what I use. So recognize it, cooperate with it, and let it go. Yeah. So in a minute, a minute. And when then I'm done with it, I let it go and I don't hold on to the fact that I had it or
1: whatever it was. Like, yeah. I wanted to ask you with COVID 19. What precautions are you taking with your mom when you get home?
0: Yeah. So she's waiting like a puppy dog for me to come home because I'm her only playmate in the world. So now with COVID-19, I walk in the door and I do not let her near me. I literally don't let her near me. So I take off all of my clothes. As soon as I'm inside the front door, I walk through the house to my Laundry basket, naked. I put in all my clothes and I step into the shower. And I shower for like 20 minutes. Because every day I have to wash my hair. I have long hair, long thick hair. So this is like, I wash my hair. I take a shower. I put on clean sweats because I don't even wear the sweats I wore the day before. Because even though I showered, I don't trust them. Because Mm -hmm. I... I have a frail mother who has a bronchiectasis. She has an advanced lung disease. If my mother gets it, she's dead. So I don't let her near me. So she does not participate with me at all for the first half hour after I'm home at all. And I don't ever let her do, like, she's like, I can do your wash. Like, I'll just wash that in the sink. I don't let her touch my wash. I I, I barely let her in my room. Even though I, I mean I'm showering and I'm not even going into my room like from work. I'm literally going to the laundry basket and then into the bathroom. We have a separate bathroom, by the way. We're blessed that one. So we use separate bathrooms, but that. and I don't use my towel more than once because I can't take a chance. It's just an, I can't take a chance.
1: Again, I really appreciate your time and your and your wisdom and Sending my good thoughts to you and your mom and, of course, all, all the people that you care for at the hospital. I so appreciate the, the depth of your sharing. Is there anything you want to leave our Age Stage listeners with?
0: I have a feeling that there's a high percentage of you who have figured out better ways. And if you want to let them, Cheryl know them and she could pass them on to me, I'd be very grateful.
1: We have a wonderful Age Stage community in our Naviguide program that people share amazing ideas with each other and we'd love to have you be participate in that. And yeah, it's, it's great helping each other. Yeah. In those moments. Yeah. We're all, we're all in this together. I I keep saying we're brilliant together. Yeah. Together we can do anything. And I'm agreeing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope you get some pancakes in today and I really appreciate your time. Me too. You. All right. Take care, show.. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. At Age Sage, our aim is to equip you with resources to navigate life's challenges, empower you to make critical choices with your aging loved ones, and enrich your life with a renewed sense of self-worth, self-confidence, and peace of mind. I want to take a moment to ask you to rate, review, and recommend this podcast. AgeSage is a new podcast that we created just for you, but no one will know about it if our listeners don't spread the word. So please take a moment now to review it and share it with friends whom you know would benefit from it. If you have a burning question that you would like me to answer on the show, please head over to Agesage.co and leave me a voicemail. There you will also find detailed show notes for each episode, and you can download my free ebook, Advocating for Aging Loved Ones. Once again, that's agesage.co, A-G-E-S-A-G-E dot C-O. This is Dr. Cheryl Matthew, and I want to thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to sharing this journey with you.